0: Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing, New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. If you have a Bible, take them and turn with me to Exodus chapter number 4 this morning. We're going to look at uh, somewhat of a familiar, familiar passage to some, maybe unfamiliar to others. Um, but really, it's a not really a stewardship type passage that you would think of when you think about stewardship. Uh, but as I was studying God's Word this week, I, I saw some, a very important principle within the pages here that is very appropriate for this series, very appropriate for this, this message this morning. And I hope and pray that the Lord will bless it uh, today. So last week we were in Genesis, today we're in Exodus. So I was thinking about it as I was sitting down there. What I should do is just go through every book of the Bible. So we'll be here for the next 64 weeks in this series, and then we'll finally finish. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, But uh, the next three or four weeks, we are going to finish this up. But uh, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me, Exodus 4. Go ahead and stand if you could, uh, in honor of God's Word. We're going to read the first few verses together. So follow along. As I read this morning, Exodus chapter number four, the Bible says, And Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the stage here in just a minute of what has just happened and what he's talking about. Nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became his serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we continue this series on stewardship. Understanding that you've entrusted us with, first and foremost, the gift of life. And we are merely stewards of all that you've given us. We are managers of your resources. God, I pray that you'd help us to have a true biblical perspective of what stewardship looks like. And as we talked about last week, understand that we are not the owner. That's all you. We are merely the steward, the manager that you have entrusted us with to watch out your resources and to further your resources for your kingdom, for your glory. Heavenly Father, we love you in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, I think sometimes with anything, uh, I think sometimes we need a little push. Um, sometimes it's it's good to have a push. I came across kind of a, a funny story, funny illustration to, to kind of set the stage this morning, uh, kind of put it in perspective. I heard of a story of a very rich man who made his fortune in crocodile farming, selling crocodile skins at Top fashion houses. One day, he threw a house party, and around the house, in the middle of the party, he he called all the audience together and he and he posed a challenge to the audience. He said, "If there's anyone in here that can swim across this crocodile pool in front of you from one end to the other, then he will be rewarded with the hand of my beautiful daughter." Now there was a big buzz in the audience as each of them was eyeing to see who would be the courageous person individual that would jump into that pool with all the crocodiles. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there was a big splash. And suddenly the audience roared in thunderous applause as one young man swam across, crisscrossing his way at times, and at times wrestling with the crocodiles. Finally, he miraculously reached the other end of the pool without any injuries or scratches. With such a death-defying effort, uh, the people applauded with great celebration. And the owner, the one that was in charge, he, he, he went to the end and and uh, congratulated the young man and, and, and really kind of befuddled and baffled. Why would you jump in? You know, I kind of posed this, but didn't think anything would, anything would ever come of it. So he asked him, he said, now, before I give you the hand of my daughter, I want to ask you just one thing. What was on your mind when you jumped into the pool? The young man answered, sir, I just want to know who pushed me in. <laughs> So that's what I'm here to do today. I'm here to push you into stewardship, okay? Not into the crocodile infested waters, but I'm here to push you into stewardship and try to encourage you at the biblical perspective of what stewardship is about. And just to set the stage, just a quick review of what we talked about last week. We saw in uh, Genesis chapter number one, verse 26 through 30, that God is the creator of everything. It's a very simple statement but it's a very profound statement. and something, in understanding proper biblical stewardship, we have to understand that it all begins with God. Everything is God's, that God is the owner, we are His stewards. And one thing I said is that uh, since God is the creator, the earth belongs to God, the contents within the earth belong to God, and the people living on earth belong to God. That That is us. And since God is the creator, as we also said, he has made us, He has created us into His image. We are His image bearers. And that's a perfect illustration because if we are His image bearers, we bear His image. What better way to, uh, uh, to realize that we are stewards because we are bearing His image. And to be a good steward involves developing your gifts, we said this last week, while not being addicted to your gifts, You can be a bad steward by neglecting what God has given you. You can also be a bad steward by worshiping what God has given you. And sometimes, just leave it up there for just a minute. Sometimes people uh, neglect what God has given them, what God has entrusted them with. Sometimes people worship what God has given them and think it's all about them. But everything that God has given you, He has given to use for Him, for His glory, for His honor, for His kingdom, and not our own. And again, the application of the message last week and the whole series is this, God is the owner, I am the steward. God is the owner, I am the steward. And remember, stewardship is not thinking like an owner. We don't own anything that we have. It has all been gifted, given to us by God, our creator. And as we get to Exodus chapter 4, it's it's a passage that I've never heard a message on stewardship before, but again, in different readings and studyings and in my own study, I realized that this is a very fitting passage. Now let me set the stage a little bit to understand what's going on because we jumped in the middle of the story here in Exodus chapter 4. God wanted to use Moses to deliver the Israelites. The Israelites were in bondage, had been in bondage for over 400 years and enslaved to the Egyptians. God wanted to free His people out of Egyptian slavery, and he had used, or he had called out to Moses. Uh, Moses was a a phenomenal man, uh, lived 120 years, and had different stages of his life. The first 40 years of his life, he had spent in the palace, and he had learned a lot of things, gained a lot of things in the palace. The next 40 years of his life, he had spent in the desert, in the wilderness. Uh, The next 40 years of his life, he was leading the children of Israel. But now God comes to him at a miraculous event. This is the burning bush. Uh, Many of us have heard of that. Uh, This is where God is speaking to Moses, and the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's, It's a miraculous event. And it talks about that back in chapter number three at the very start. But God is what he's doing is he is unveiling his plan to Moses. Because Moses was to be the chosen individual to lead the Israelites out of bondage, out of slavery. And as God begins to unveil his plan, Moses does something that many of us are good at. He offers excuses. Anybody like to offer excuses for why you can't do certain things? Uh, Many of us are good at that. I'm very good at why I can't do certain things. Right, Amanda? Yes, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, We're all good at offering excuses why we can't. And again, as God is unveiling this, I just quickly want to go through this. This is a great message in and of itself. Uh, But the five excuses that Moses offers, and and the the cool thing is every time Moses offered an excuse, God just kind of shut down that excuse. But the first excuse in Exodus 3, verse 11 and and 12, we don't have to read that. You can read it later, but it's the excuse of, who am I? I? I'm a nobody. Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? You know Moses, he remembered his failures. Moses had taken a man's life and then fled into the wilderness. But the principle that God was getting at was it wasn't the question of who are you, it's who is God? And that's what Mo, or God was trying to understand or get Moses to understand. The second excuse that he offered was, well, who's authority? Look, God didn't want Moses to tell the Israelites everything he didn't know about God. He just wanted him to tell them everything he did know about God. The third excuse, and again, I'm going through these quickly. It's a message in and of itself, but we'd be here all day if I preach that. The third excuse, and this is what we're going to focus on this morning in a minute, is that what if. You ever made that what if statement, that what if excuse? Man, life is filled with a lot of what ifs, right? Uh, I was just doing a little research this morning on that. And again, statistics are statistics. You can take them for what they are. Um, you know, we often worry and fear about what may happen, but the reality is, most of the time that we worry about what may happen, never ends up happening. And one statistic that I was reading this morning said, or stated that, out of all the things that we worry about, only about 9% actually come true. <laughs> so over 90% of what we worry about doesn't actually come true. There's a lot of what-ifs in life. And I and I have a lot of what-ifs, and I could talk about all my what-ifs, but we're not going to do that. But what-if... Uh, that's basically what Moses is saying here. What if? What if they don't believe me? What if? What if you know they, they're not listening to me? And then we go on to the fourth excuse. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Fourth excuse is well, I can't talk very good. I don't know what to say. And Moses had a stuttering problem. He literally stuttered over his words and really couldn't speak very well. God shut that down. The fifth excuse that he offered was well, God, why, why don't you just let someone else do it? Again, these are five excuses that Moses offered to God when God was saying, hey, you're the one. You're the man that I have chosen for this. I have entrusted you with this responsibility. I want you to do it. But I want you to go back to that third excuse, which is in chapter number four. And Moses is faced with this what-if dilemma. And it's kind of a burning question for many of us today. It's a question that I've had to ask myself and I've had to ask God. What if I trust God what if I surrender my life to God and it doesn't work out the way I thought it would work out? Anyone ever had a similar type of question? Yeah, I think many of us have. What if I trust God? What if I surrender my life to God and it doesn't work out? Let me just be honest with you this morning. I've been challenged with that question at many times in my life. And the truth is, it didn't work out the way that I thought it would. It was far better. In my mind, in my imagination, what if I trust God? What if I believe that He is who He says He is? I give my life to Him. I surrender Him. I actually obey the Bible. and I believe what it says. And I give my life to it. What if my life doesn't turn out the way I think it's going to work out? Well, it hasn't, honestly. It hasn't turned out the way I thought it would, but it's turned out far better because I'm not in control. God is. And that's what we have to understand. That God is in control of all. And this what-if dilemma is a challenging question. It was about uh, the people not believing what he had to say. But then God asked a a very important question, a very challenging question to Moses in verse number two. And this is where we're going to center a whole message on this morning. Let me read verse one again, then we'll read verse two. And Moses answered and said... Behold, they will not believe me. Basically, hey, what if they don't believe me? Or hearken to my voice, for they will say the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Hey, You're just you're fooling us. God hasn't said anything to you. They're not going to listen. Now look at verse number two. And the Lord said unto him, "What is that in thine hand?" Now this is very important. Very important. What is that in thine hand? Now, this is a very important question in life. God is about to do a miraculous thing in Moses' life. And we have to understand that when God does miracles, he never does it for his benefit. What I mean is God is not doing a miracle and then like, wow, I didn't expect that to happen. Like he knows what's going to happen. God doesn't do a miracle for his benefit. He does it for our benefit. God never asks a question that he doesn't already know. Stay with me here. He doesn't ask a question he doesn't already know the answer to. So the question is, hey, Moses, what is that in thy hand? And I'm going to hit on this a little bit later in the message. But with stewardship, we have to understand, God never asks us or wants us to use something we don't already have. Okay? It's a very simple question principle. And really, it talks about stewarding what matters the most. We could change that to the simplicity of stewardship because the simplicity of stewardship is that God doesn't ask us to use what we don't already have. He doesn't say, all right, I want you to give away your neighbor's possessions. Man, I I could do that. Anybody with me? He doesn't say, all right, I want you to surrender someone else's life. If I'm honest, I've got a few names I could call out to God right now. God, I got a few people you can take, (laughs) right? God doesn't ask us to do that. He says, what's in your hand? What do you have? Again, it's simple, but we have to understand this. God doesn't ask us to use what he hasn't already given us. So as he asks this question, this is very important in setting up this stage, in setting the stage for the message. What is in your hand? Moses answers, verse number three, and he says, a rod. Now, If I'm Moses, I'm like, uh, God, don't you know what's in my hand? Can you not see this? Uh, I actually got a staff or a rod. uh, Gordon Laverty, he he entrusted me with this, and I asked him, I was like, if if I break it, is it okay? He's like, "Uh, I don't know about that. I'll try not to. Um, But anyway, he's got this staff, this shepherd's crook, this rod in his hand, so I'm sure he's like, "Uh, can't you see? And this morning, as I was kind of doing my final review, uh, how many parents have ever asked your kid, hey, what do you got there? And they're like, nothing. (laughs) ever happened to you? Don't you love that? Hey, what do you got there, Nate? Uh, nothing. Um, pretty sure you got a stick in your hand. No, I got nothing. (laughs) What? Moses didn't say that or anything. And and, and sometimes, you know, when I ask Nate or even Noah, it's like, I'm not, they're not in trouble. I'm just like, hey, what do you got there? Nothing. (laughs) So I can just picture Moses. He's like, uh, a rod. Can you see this, Lord? It's, it's a rod. It's a staff. Now, This staff, this rod, symbolized something in Moses' life. Now, write this down. This is important. Go ahead and and pop all those up, Michael. It symbolized three things. It symbolized Moses' identity, his income, and his influence. I'm going to talk about that. This staff, you can just leave it up there, it it symbolized Moses' identity, his income, and his influence. Now, when... Someone in that day, especially, was walking around with a staff, a rod, a shepherd's crook, whatever you want to call it. What would you think their occupation would be? Anybody? A shepherd. Yes, exactly. Uh, Someone's not going to just be walking around like, hey, what do you do? Oh, uh, I'm a police officer. Like, what? Or, I'm a golfer. I'm, what? Like, no. You would understand that if you have a shepherd's stick, it's a you're a shepherd. That's your job. That's your identity. You know, if, again, this is totally off the subject, you know, uh, thinking about, you know, pastors, you know, pastors walking around like, what do you do? Well, pastor typically has to have a golf club in his hand. Then you'd understand, that, oh, that's a pastor, right? He's obviously a man of God because he has a golf club. No, that's, that's not it. Anyway, again, I'm going so far off subject here today. It's OK. We'll come back to it. Uh, this identifies him. This is his identity. This is who he is. Again, this also symbolized his income because his wealth was tied to his job, right? Uh, herding sheep and shepherding after the sheep tied to his job. Uh, this stick was typically some six feet long and was used in a variety of ways by the shepherd. It was used to guide, to lead, to protect the sheep. It was used to support the shepherd as he helped climb up the steep mountain paths and, and down the steep mountain pass. It was used to defend the flock and and shepherd against the attack of wild animals. So that's what I'm going to use it today. If anyone's going to fall asleep today, I'm going to use it to defend myself and wake you up this morning, okay? Hopefully, I'm not going to do that. Uh, But it was used uh, for all those things. But Moses depended on this rod every day that he lived. And I'm saying all this because it's very important. This was Moses. This was a very important part of Moses now an interesting thing about Moses as he was a shepherd you know the sheep didn't even belong to him they belonged to his father-in-law and in some ways the only thing that he possessed was this rod this was his possession and here's what I want you to get god knew what Moses had in his hand he wasn't asking because he didn't know he couldn't see he wasn't asking because god was blind and Uh, Are you hiding something from me? No, God knew. God wasn't asking for information. He was asking for instruction. Now, stay with me here. You see, in Moses' life, the very thing he held on to, listen to this, the very thing he held on to was the thing that was holding on to him. Let me say that again. The very thing that he held on to was the very thing that was holding on to him. And sometimes in our lives, what God wants us to do is give Him what we're holding on to. Because in giving what we're holding on to, we find and we discover that there is greater blessings awaiting for us. And what God tells us to do next is extremely important. Verse number three. And He said, Cast it on the ground. You know what that means? Throw it on the ground. Cast it on the ground. Now, when Moses cast it on the ground, what happened? It turned into a serpent. It turned into a snake. Now, now, if this turns into a serpent, then Gordon got the right stick. <laughs> All right, it didn't turn into a serpent. All right. obviously, I'm not Moses. Uh, I was just I was curious about that. But anyway, he said he said, cast it on the ground and. When Moses cast it on the ground, it, I'm just going to lay it here because I really don't want to break it. When he cast it on the ground, it turned into a serpent. And let's continue reading because it's, it's, it's interesting. And Moses, what do he do? Into verse 3. Fled. Anybody like snakes? All right, we got a couple weird people. All right, very good. I, I figured, David, that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, most people don't like snakes. And if you saw a snake, especially if you have a staff in your hand or something in your hand, you throw it on the ground, turns you to a snake, you'd be like, oh, cool. No, like you'd be like out of there, right? You'd be running away. That's exactly what Moses was doing. Now, we don't know exactly what kind of snake it was. Uh, I did some study on this. And again, it's, it's speculative. Um, but some people think it might have been a cobra. And the reason it might have been a cobra was because the Egyptians revered and worshiped cobras. So it was a way to, if, if it was, it was a way to uh, identify that God was in control and not some cobra, not some snake. But anyway, as he throws it on the ground, it, it turns into a snake. And then verse number four, <coughs> excuse me, excuse me. It says, and the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the head, right? No, take it by the tail. Now, I don't like snakes. I don't know a lot about snakes, but I know you don't take a snake by the tail. Why? Because they whip around, right? And they bite you. Has anyone grabbed a snake by the tail? and like try to pick them up? We got a few people. Has it bit you? All right, very good. Didn't do a Moses thing there, right? Sorry. Maybe next time. But don't do it, please. <laughs> uh, typically, when you grab a snake by the tail, it's going to snap around, right? It's possibly going to bite you. So again, God is asking a lot of Moses already. He's asking him first to, to throw his staff down, throw his rod down, and then, and then when he throws it down, turns into a snake and says, all right, now I'll pick it up. And don't just pick it up. Pick it up by the tail. <clears throat> and he put forth his hand, and I'm sure he was very cautious, very nervous. I would be. And caught it, and what happened? It became a rod again. It became a staff. An amazing thing just took place. Verse 5 The reason God did this, because he says that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, uh, fathers, (coughs) excuse me, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Now there's a very important principle that I want to unlock today. Here's what God was trying to do. Here's what God was trying to do with Moses when he asked him to cast down, lay down, throw down your rod. He is calling Moses to relinquish control. This is important. He is calling Moses to relinquish control. Again, this staff is his identity, it's his income, it's his influence. It helped him influence the sheep. If, if one of them were, were acting up, he could you know, take it and, and bring it back and draw it back. But to Moses, this rod wasn't just a rod this was a tool it was a vital part of his life it didn't necessarily represent life did it this is a dead stick right it's a dead stick it's a dead dry stick but what happened what happened when moses relinquished control of the dead dry stick came alive it came alive That's pretty cool, isn't it? What happens, and we're going to unlock that, but what happens when you relinquish control of the dead tri-stick in your life and give it over to God? Not saying he's going to turn it into a snake. But he makes it alive. And as Moses, I'm sure he's thinking this, God, what are you thinking? What are you trying to do? You're trying to get me to, to grab this, this snake that's on the ground? There's no way I'm going to do it. But it's a powerful principle. You see, God has entrusted us with resources that He asked us to watch over. Remember, everything belongs to Him. He asked us to do things that don't make sense. Does this make sense to anyone? Throw a stick on the ground, turns it to a snake, pick it up by the tail. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. And honestly, a lot of what God asks us to do doesn't make sense, but that's where trust comes in, right? That's where faith comes in, saying, you know what, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to relinquish control to you. I am going to give up what I think are my resources, my identity, my influence, give it to you and allow you to do something spectacular with it. Now God is challenging Moses what I've been trying to challenge us with as well. He's challenging him to learn to lose control, right? To learn to lose control and trust. And what happened when Moses obeyed that stick or that that serpent became a stick, but it gets better. It gets better. You see this dead stick became an instrument of power that God would use to defeat the armies of Israel. God took a seemingly insignificant piece of wood and used it for His glory. Used it for His honor. I just want to run quickly through a couple passages. You don't have to turn there. But in Exodus chapter number 7, thank you, appreciate that. In Exodus chapter number 7, verse number 12, this stick, this dry, formerly dead stick was used to confront Egyptian soothsayers. Later on in that passage, it was used to turn the water of Egypt into blood. It was also used to bring forth the plague of frogs and the plague of lice. It was also produced to to bring the plague of thunder and of hail. It was used to call the east wind that blew the plague of locusts. It was used to part the Red Sea. When Moses lifted up his hands, what happened at the Red Sea? The waters parted. Now, if you're not excited about this, I'm sorry, but it, it excites me because this formerly dead stick now has the power of God resting in it. Understand what I'm saying? Because Moses learned that, you know what? I'm going to give up control of my possession, my possessions to God and see what God is going to do with it. I am going to trust God with what he has entrusted me with and see what happens. This was also used to bring water from a rock in the desert. It was used to bring victory over the Amalekites. Now turn quickly. Exodus chapter 17. I just have to show you this quickly. Exodus chapter 17. This is pretty amazing. Because formerly this was Moses' rod, Moses' staff. But in Exodus chapter 17, verse number 9, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men and go out, fight with uh, Amalek. Uh, Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with what's it say the next four words the rod of god you see this was changed this got a name change it wasn't just moses's rod anymore it wasn't just moses's staff anymore what was it now referred to the rod of god <laughs> that's pretty awesome i never saw that before this week This wasn't just a stick now. This was God's power that had been poured into it because Moses learned to relinquish control to God. And when he learned to relinquish control to God, God took a dead, weak, powerless, dry stick and used it in a mighty and powerful way. Man, that's awesome. I read a good quote this week that was very, very convicting. You know, when it comes to Christianity, there are a lot of people that profess Christianity with their mouths, but they don't actually put it into action. And the quote that I read, I shared it with my wife, and again, it was very convicting, but the quote was this, there are a lot of professing Christians who are practicing atheists. Think about that. There are a lot of professing Christians who are practicing atheists. You know what that means? There are a lot of people that profess with their mouth, I believe God, I trust God, I've given my life to God, but I am not going to live God, live for God. I am not going to relinquish control to God. So in a sense, we are practicing atheists. <laughs> it was very convicting because I looked at my own life and saw how foolish I've been in that area many times that when God has said, hey, hand over, lay down, cast down the rod, the stick, the staff. No, that's all right, I got it, God. I don't need to cast it down. I got it. It's mine. And who knows what blessings I could have missed out on. And the important principle, it really is, this is a very simple message today. But God has called you and I to relinquish control. I've said that for months, and I feel like a broken record. I really do. But God has called us to relinquish control to him. So what am I supposed to do? Write these down. Three simple principles. And it goes back to chapter four. What are we supposed to do? First of all, start with what you have. Start with what you have. Second thing, once you start with what you have, cast it down at Jesus' feet, letting go, giving it to Jesus, the one that is in control. Once you start with what you have, once you cast it down at Jesus' feet, third thing is this, watch God pour His power into it. This isn't a prosperity gospel type message, and I'm not saying you know you give to God and He's just going to give you everything that you ever dreamed of. That's not what I'm saying. But when you relinquish control of your life, that's actually His life, give it to God, when you cast it, lay it down at Jesus' feet, God will pour His power into into your life to do amazing things for him. You might not be the richest person on this earth. You might not make a lot of money. That doesn't matter. That really doesn't matter because this life is not meant to be lived so that we can gain more and more and more. This life has been meant to live so that we can give more of our lives to God so we can advance his kingdom so we can do what he has called us to do again God doesn't ask us to relinquish what we don't already have, does he? God doesn't ask us to relinquish what someone else has. This isn't necessarily on tithing, but you think about it. People hate stewardship because, oh, the pastor's just going to preach on tithing, going to preach on money. You know why people hate stewardship? Because they don't have a biblical proper perspective of what stewardship actually is. They don't understand that it's not yours, it's God's. It all belongs to him. Even this thing, you know, that I have in my pocket called a, can't even get it out, a wallet. (laughs) This is God's. But for some of us, this is our staff, right? This is our rod. God says, all right, I want you to cast it down. I want you to give back what what I require of you. And really what he requires us is very minimal. I mean, at least 10%. No, I can't do that. Offering comes by or we take these special offerings. I'm not doing that. I'm not giving to God. Again, I'm going to get on that in later messages, but God is saying, I want you to cast down. I want you to relinquish control and watch me pour power into what you've given, what you've given up, and and God is going to bless. And again, I'm not saying that you're going to have everything you ever dreamed of, but I look at my life when I've relinquished control of of my wallet, of my life, of everything. I've seen how God has blessed in my life. I've seen how God has, has taken things that I didn't think were possible and made possible for him. But here's the truth. People hate stewardship because I'm not giving up this. This is mine. No, it's not. It's his. Everything you have is his, including this. And really, there is a lot, as I said, there is a lot the Bible has to say about stewardship, twice as much as prayer and faith combined. On money because God understands we can't let go of this. We can't give up control of this because this is mine. No, it's not. God asked Moses, Hey, what's in your hand? Again, God uses what we have and nothing more. Well, I, I can't I can't tithe to God. Or okay, I, I'm gonna give to God. You know, we're taking these impact offerings, so I'm gonna give. Fifty thousand dollars, man, that'd be awesome. But if you don't have fifty thousand dollars, how can you give it? Can you? No, you can't. God doesn't ask you to do what you don't have, what you can't have, what you don't, what you, what you don't give. He asks you to to give what you already have. And here's the, here's the truth. And it's been used in many messages before. But get this down. God is not looking for ability. God is looking for availability. God is not looking for ability, rather availability. God just wants a willingness to serve and give what He has already given us. That is it. So what are you holding on to that you cannot give up? What is in your hand, church? For Moses, it was the staff. For Moses, it was the rod. God says, relinquish it. Cast it down. And this same question has been asked to every one of us if you're a child of God. If you have asked God to ask, or forgive you of your sins, come to your heart and save you, He has, in a sense, asked the question, hey, what are you holding on to? What do you think is so precious that you cannot give up? Maybe it's your money, your, your finances. Maybe it's, think of my own situation eight years ago. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's relationship. What is in your hand that you think is so important that you can't give over to God? This is talking about whatever is in your care, whatever is in your control. Listen to me. What you withhold, what you retain in your hand, reveals what's in your heart. What you withhold and retain in your hand reveals what's in your heart. When God says, hey, cast it down, lay it down. If you aren't willing to lay it down, it reveals where your heart is. And the goal of our church, the purpose statement of our church is to grow fully committed disciples. And you can't be a fully committed disciple if you don't understand proper biblical stewardship. You can't. It's impossible. It's impossible if you're not willing to relinquish control to God, you're surely not a committed follower of Christ. One of my favorite stories about stewardship comes from Bob Roberts, who is an American Baptist leader in the field of stewardship. While teaching a seminar on theology of stewardship and giving, the light came on for one of his students who was a teenager. The teenager exclaimed excitedly, he says, I get it, I get it. I get stewardship. Listen, he says, it's not how much of my stuff I give to God. It's how much of God's stuff I use for myself. Let me say that again. That's powerful. This isn't a made-up story. This is true. This teen, a teenager, says, I get it. It's not how much of my stuff I give to God. It's how much of God's stuff I use for myself. I keep. (laughs) So what good... We talked about squandering last week and you know, wasting and spending foolishly. What good is a dead, dry squanderer when God has asked you to steward, to manage, to properly invest? What good is a dead, dry stick that hasn't been given back to God? You know what stewardship means to me? You know what a steward is to me? It's a dead stick that's been made alive. It's my own interpretation of it. A steward is a dead stick that's been made alive to God. And that's what God is calling us today. You know, the Bible is filled with this principle of, hey, what's in your hand? Use what you have. You know, Samson used the jawbone of a donkey to slay a thousand men. Ruth, Ruth used uh, grain that she had gleaned from the field. David used, what, a sling and some stones to defeat the mighty Philistine champion, Goliath? In the New Testament, there was the little boy who gave, what, his lunch, right? The five loaves and two fishes. There was the woman who had the alabaster box of ointment that she gave to Jesus to anoint his feet. This principle is found all throughout God's Word. Hey, what's in your hand? Use it for God. Start with what you have, lay it down at the feet of Jesus, and watch God pour His power into it. This is just a simple stick. What Moses had was just a simple stick, nothing magical about it. But once he surrendered it to God, it became the rod of God. (laughs) That's what God wants from your life. Once you surrender whatever you're holding on to to God, it becomes the whatever of God. It's His. It's always His. But He's calling us. He's not forcing us. That's the great thing about God, His loving Father and compassionate self. He doesn't force us to do something. He pleads, He encourages, He, he shows us what we're supposed to do. And hey, just lay it down, down on my feet and watch what I'll do with what you've given to me. And I will bless in ways that you never thought of. It's not about getting more in your bank account. It's about blessings that you can't even comprehend. It's about blowing out of the water all of those what-if scenarios. Well, what if I give to God and, and He doesn't pay me back? But what if He does? <laughs> because He will. God will bless biblical stewardship. You know what? God won't bless? Unbiblical., oh, disobedience. God doesn't bless that. And there and I, again, trying not to be that you know, harsh pastor, but there are a lot of people in here that are unbiblical disobedient do you like it when your kids disobey you nope so do you think god likes it when you disobey him no god has entrusted you you know i've been begging pleading challenging give to the impact offerings and it's more than just the mission trip it's so much more that we're trying to do the rest of the year and some people are like i'm not doing that that's stupid I ain't giving my money. It's not yours. I shouldn't have to beg you to give more to God. You should just willingly say, hey, pastor, what do you need? What does the church need? What does God need? Here it is. You know, biblical stewardship, and I I, I didn't hit this principle last week, but biblical stewardship goes all in. It doesn't hold back. When God says, hey, lay it down. Nope. Nope. Psych. Lay it down. It's not in my hand anymore, is it? All right, God, do what you want. All right, God, I'm going to lay my children down. I'm going to lay my family down. I'm going to lay my whatever down. Do what you have. Do what you would do. I'm relinquishing control. (coughs) What are you holding on to? What are you not willing to give up to God?